Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. I'm Ross Hillier, your host. Today, I'm joined in person for like the original in-person episode of this show uh, with Austin Leg. So we just, he came out to our place. We did an ice bath. We did a nice training session we just got done with, uh, a little upper body pump. And then now we're sitting down to chat. How you doing, man? Thanks Dude, for coming out. Happy to be here, fellow Idaho man. I know. Yeah, I'm glad we got to do this in person. It doesn't ever happen, honestly, because yeah. I mean, part of it is I, you know, a lot of the guys that are in the network that, that I've connected with, we're pretty remote mm -hmm. up here in Idaho from yeah. them. So when I was like, yeah, dude, Austin is like right down the road, of course. Yeah. Like, why, why don't we? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and it's cool for me because, um, man, I've been, I've been following you now for a couple of years and I watched just all the stuff you do between like the mace work and the sandbags yeah. and the kettlebells and the ice baths and like all that stuff. And, and it's all just like right here in your backyard. And, yeah. and I've, I've seen the message of like the, you know, nomad cottage style living, simplistic, <laughs> yeah. like all that. And, and a lot of that resonates with me. Um, cause I've just for the longest time, well, for the last probably year or two kind of mm -hmm. been going through this transition of like, I don't need to go to the gym to be fit. Yeah. I don't need to like pick up big weights and slam them down to be strong. I don't need, you know, and, and so watching you is kind of, it's cool to be out here and experience it for myself. Cause it's like, okay, like I can do this. Yeah. You know, a lot so. of the things that we'd done this morning, did yeah. some like windmills with the kettlebell, yeah. like some things that you'd never movement things that you'd never oh, done before. Yeah. I, I need to like, deep dive into the windmill <laughs> with a kettlebell because that was the most uncoordinated thing I've ever done. <laughs> that was funny, man. Uh, and I noticed that a lot of times, and, and it, that mindset, I think, tends to occur more with 
people that are outdoorsy type people yeah. because they understand like the what's the the least amount of things I can still be successful with yeah. because especially like if you're on a backcountry hunt you can't I mean it's like what's the most I can pack in the lightest mm-hmm. way possible mm-hmm. get back here do my thing and be successful and get out and so I mean that's you know, not a direct analogy, but just that mindset of yeah. kind of the minimum effective dose yeah. is what was like a huge game changer for me, like in training and coaching in general was, you know, like you said, I don't need 70% of this stuff mm-hmm. to be fitter than, you know, still 95% of the people on the planet. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of understanding the implements, training, and just being yeah. dedicated and disciplined to it. Yeah, I, I think the the big like, the big word that just keeps repeating in my head is just functionality. Yeah. And, and that's my, like when I'm, when I'm still going to the gym and I'm about to do something and I ask myself like, where's the functionality of this? Yeah. Like, how is this going to help me function better as a human being in what I do? Mm-hmm. And what I do is mainly like climbing big mountains, yeah. chasing big animals, yeah. you know, like being by totally. myself alone. Like if it doesn't help me function better in one of those aspects, like why am I wasting time doing it? Yeah. It's like, it's not working it's not putting me further towards those goals. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, almost wasting time. And and, I don't have time to waste. And <laughs> so. it's literally like a survival <laughs> mechanism for you in that case. You yeah, know, like totally. when you're in those situations, yeah, totally. you know, if you're going to, especially in the gym, doing things that, you know, minimum effective dose applies to the modalities, but also to the idea of like injury prevention. Big time. You know, like how do we move safely, still get what we need to get out of it? I mean, at a certain level, the ego you know, we'll take you to this place where it says you can do all of these things. You need to do all of these things to like prove yourself. Right. And then everybody's going to hit this point in life where it's like, none of that matters anymore, man. Like, I just want to feel good. I want to move well and like be healthy and be able to do the things I want to do and not get hurt doing those things either, you know? And so that's like been a huge, a a huge shift for me, which has been fun. So I want to talk about some of the backcountry stuff because you do a lot of solo stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is that something that you just started doing or did you have to get like convinced or convince yourself to be okay with doing that? Cause I mean, I did, I mean, I, like I told you earlier, I'm relatively new into the hunting thing at all. And I, even when I just go up uh, for like a day and I'll just head up by myself and, and walk around a little bit for a day and I'll tell, you know, I'll tell my wife where I'm going and like, these are my, this is my waypoints, like all this kind of stuff is where I am. But even that's just like, man, like you're, it's you against <laughs> yeah, nature. Once you here. lose cell phone service, it's <laughs> yeah. a totally new deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when I, when I started hunting, a lot of it was a, just trying to figure it out yeah. and try and figure out how to be successful. And then the second part of it was, um, finding out what I enjoyed, mm. like w- what about this process and being out here? Am I really enjoying? Yeah. Um, because anyway, it's like, yeah, I just, I just love hunting. Well, it's like, well, what about it? Yeah. Is it the being outside? Is it chasing animals, being with your friends, the hunt camp? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. And once I started narrowing it down, um, I, I realized that, okay, if I'm going to be out here hunting, I don't necessarily want to do the big hunt camp. I don't necessarily want... And, and it's not because I don't like being with people. It was just right. that the experience to me wasn't that. Yeah. Um, the experience wasn't like let's let's drive around in a, a you know razor all day and, and see how many deer we can spot. Right, like, that wasn't it. And so as I started narrowing it down and figuring out like okay, I like the solitude, I like the quiet, I like the challenge. I and once I figured those things out, I was like okay, I think I need to do this a little bit more by myself. Yeah. And I had a friend of mine, um, you know, years back, kind of introduced me to backpack hunting, and I had done backpacking. 
but I'd never done backpack hunting. Right. I'm like, okay, so it's basically the same thing, right. except now instead of having like a destination in, in mind, I'm trying to reach a mountain peak or reach a lake. It's, right. I'm trying to find animals. Yep. And if, if finding animals takes me four miles this way or takes me five miles the other way, yep. I need to be ready to spend the night on the mountain, have water, have food, have all those things. Yeah. And, uh, and then once you're successful, put that meat on your back and get it back to the truck. And so I was like, okay, like this is cool. And, and after about, um, probably a year or two of backpack hunting with someone, I was like, okay, now I know where like my sweet spot is in hunting. Yeah. I love being back country isolated. And then I removed myself from the partner. And it wasn't because I, again, it's not because I don't like people. Like yeah. I, I backpack on with people all the time. I still do the hunt camp thing. I still do all those things. But um, if I'm really narrowing it down, like what I love, mm-hmm. I love being by myself yeah. and going after that challenge. It's like the it's like kind of the pinnacle to me of hunting. It is really, I mean, like yeah. what hunting is, like proving to yourself that you can do mm-hmm. all of these things and mm-hmm. survive, take the animal, clean it, take it apart and haul it back alone. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking it's like, uh, what's it? R- Lampers, Ryan Lampers. Yeah, Ryan Lampers. He, uh, I, I remember him hearing on, on his podcast, something like that. He, he would literally just like, if he didn't have his wife and his, his family back home, like he would just be up there by himself forever. Mm-hmm. Like he lives, like thrives and just loves that environment. And I know Ryan and yeah. that's true. That's not something he would, he just <laughs> says. Like, yeah. That is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's funny because like, I remember my first time, um, the first animal I killed where I did the entire process yeah. start to finish, right? It was like, got there by myself, yeah. found it by myself, killed it, gutted it, skinned it, d- quartered it, hiked it out, mm-hmm. processed it. The entire process start to finish. Um, that was the first time where I was really like, almost like accepted myself mm-hmm. as like, I am now a hunter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas like, anybody can go out and see an animal. Right. Anyone can shoot a gun. Anybody, you know, anybody can do all of those things. Like the individual isolated, parts the of The individual it. thing. Yep. But when you do the entire process start to finish by yourself and it's like, okay, if all of this, if all of modern life and society went away today mm-hmm. and we went back to this nomadic yep. type lifestyle, I could do it. You'd be fine. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's that point where you're like, I am, I am now a hunter. Yeah. And, and I just remember thinking that like, I can now do this. I am a hunter. And uh, it was it was cool, man. And you told me uh, earlier when we were training that you you were mostly self-taught for mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. So that process, like what, what? how were you self-teaching yourself? Was it like YouTube? Was it books? Was it just going out and oh, man. doing things wrong for a long time? Like what was yeah. that process? The funny thing is I probably did it the worst possible way. <laughs> and that was like... <laughs> I think part of it was probably being a little stubborn of yeah. like, I want to figure this out for myself and not asking for advice. Um, but man, it was probably, I can't remember if it was three years or four years to just kill my first deer. Yeah. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people were like, my dad took me out when I was 10 and yep. pointed the gun at it. And I pulled the trigger and killed my first deer at 10. I've been killing deer ever since. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was the opposite, yep. you know, like my dad didn't hunt. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. Um, and, and my parents got divorced when I was in high school. And so, um, I, I was, when I decided I wanted to get into hunting, I kind of just had to go outside, mm. start hiking around. And it's funny cause I look back and I, I literally, I realize now how naive and kind of stupid I was because listen to this, right? So I remember seeing on Facebook one time a guy kill a deer and it was a mm-hmm. nice deer. And 
And again, these are things I didn't know. I didn't know it's it's disrespectful to ask other people, hey, like, where'd you where do you hunt mm. at? Where'd you kill? I I just didn't know. I didn't yeah. know any of the cultural norms. Sure. And so I asked this guy, you know, again, I'm still I'm trying to figure this out. I asked this guy, like, hey, where'd you kill that deer at? And he's like, under the under the literally, <laughs> under the ski lift at Bogus Basin is what he told me. And um, if you don't know, Bogus Basin is like our local mountain here, yeah. like just right outside of town. And so I was like, oh, sick, there's deer up there. <laughs> so I I hunted like a whole season up in Bogus Basin, walking the ski lifts, like the, you know, where the grass is, walking and like uh. looking for deer. And I, I saw like the whole season, I maybe saw like three does. Yeah. And I was so stoked. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm finding deer. deer. <laughs> I'm finding deer. And I thought it was so cool, but like I never saw a buck. Right. I never got close. And now in hindsight, I'm like, one, obviously he was messing with me. Yep. And two, I'm like, how naive was I yep. to just think I was going to like waltz up to Bogus Basin and shoot a deer on the, Dude, on the that ski is lift? Hilarious. And, and uh, but that's how it was, man. It yeah. just, it took me a long time to really just kind of figure out what are deer patterns? What are deer behaviors? Where, yeah. where do they even live? Like, where do you yeah. find deer? Where's public land? And uh, if you don't have someone mentoring you like that, you know, the, the resources that are available now can really cut that learning curve down. Yeah. But when you're just kind of like going out and trying to figure it out, it's very daunting. And I had, uh, I talked to Jamie Shira yeah. a couple of weeks ago, had him on the show to talk about the Hunter Recruitment Project mm-hmm. and the whole thing he's putting together, like basically doing exactly that, like matching people up with somebody who knows those basics, mm-hmm. you know, like to, to, you know, not necessarily like go out and show you where things are, but like to teach you how to go out and do it on your own. Yeah. And like having that, like you said, that mentor and that resource is like invaluable when it comes yeah. to something like that. Yeah, it totally is. It, uh, there were a lot of times. <clears throat> there were a lot of times where I, I thought it was just never gonna happen. Yeah, it was like I, I realistically, if I had to guess, I bet I went out at least thirty times before I yeah. probably even saw my first buck. Yeah, like it was so frustrating. And ultimately, what ended up happening is I didn't even end up killing my first buck on my own. Mm. You know, so really, as I as I say, I'm self taught. I I don't even know if that's totally accurate because the first deer I actually killed was, um, I'd done the over the counter general tag thing for a Mm -hmm. long time. No success. Finally, my best friend's dad, I think had some pity on me because he (laughs) saw what I was going through and was like, Hey, why don't you put in for this hunt? Yeah, You know, it's, it's decent success. It's a lot of public land and all those things. I was like, yeah, well, sure enough, I drew it. And so he took me out and rode me around on the four-wheeler. And I was like, oh, this is so much better than hiking, you know? <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> Saw a ton of bucks. And I was like, these are what they look like. This is so cool. <laughs> and uh, finally got to kill my first deer, man. And then, yeah, it was just off to the races. After that. Yeah. And uh, I, I told you we needed to bring it up because you were on a buddy of mine's show a couple weeks ago, Logan Hanks. Yeah. And uh, in the show, you made a comment that in a group chat that I'm in with Logan, which I've talked about this group chat a couple of times, uh, <laughs> stirred up some arguments back and forth just because it's so funny. And he talks about it too. He's like, even in people that are on the same team, 
right? Like hunters, we would classify all hunters being on the same team. Sure. You know, there's always the infighting of, <laughs> of things. Yeah. Rifle hunting versus bow hunting. And then, like, and then private compound land versus, versus land. Yeah. traditional. Yeah, traditional. You know? yeah, and so it's like, there's always tribalism yeah. in something. Yeah. Um, but you made the comment that mule deer is infinitely harder than elk hunting. I stand by that. And he just, and like everybody <laughs> blew up in the thing. Like, what are you talking about? And so def- now I'm giving you the opportunity to yeah. defend yourself yeah, on you the know, comments. It's, it's funny. I think if you have been hunting white-tailed deer and all you've known and seen is deer, yeah. then the idea of being able to come out west and chase elk obviously is going to be like the big holy grail of right. big game hunting, right? Because right. you just, you don't get those opportunities. They're big. They're majestic looking. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to hunt them during the rut, all mm-hmm. those things. Um, I think for a guy like me, and, and I think this sentiment is probably more popular in the west mm. where people can hunt both. Yeah. Um, I see a lot more people probably on team mule deer uh, because like I could take you out right now. We could drive up and, you know, within two hours we could find a big, you know, branched six point bull. Yeah. Um, and that wouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. But to go find a 200 inch mule deer would take us 10 days. Yeah. And we still might not find one, <laughs> right. let alone be able to kill it, <laughs> right. right? Because um, those deer, you know, the I saw this statistic from Fishing Game not that long ago. And I want to say it was like, I think it's 80% of mule deer that are killed are two and three-year-old deer. Wow. Okay. So we are killing, and this is in Idaho, yeah. we are killing this massive swath of young bucks, which means only you know, 20% of deer are making it to that four-year-old range. Right. And then who knows how many go to five and then to right. six where they really start hitting their prime. It's just not that many. Yeah. Now, the uh, the success rate of elk hunting is substantially smaller than deer. Uh, I think in Idaho, it's about 10%. So one out of every 10 people are going to kill an elk right. or one person is going to kill an elk every 10 years. Right. Just the numbers really kind of support what I'm saying because yeah. there are a ton of elk and more elk are able to reach maturity. And so your odds of finding and getting into big elk are higher. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's like, I, I get people get caught up on the rut and think it's like the coolest thing ever. And it is, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. And if you've never experienced it, it's like, man, it just, whew, you know, mm-hmm. it's something that like is primal. It, yeah. it sends like shockwave through your system when you start hearing bulls bugling and makes your hair stand up and mm-hmm. stuff. But like the idea of going out and hunting elk is, to me is just kind of like, yeah, it's like another thing to go hunt. Right. But trying to find big mule deer, man. They're ghosts, man. It's ghosts. <laughs> and then when you find them, it's literally like they disappear. Yeah. You, you'll see them for a second and then it's like, well, where'd he go? And you're not going. even sure if you actually saw him. Yeah, like, it was a mirage. Have I been out here man. too long? I've, and I've, I've never killed just like a true giant mule deer. Yeah. Uh, I, the number I've seen, I could count on one hand. But elk, man, it's like every time I go out, I'm like, oh, there's a you know big seven point or something. It's just is that uh, yeah. is that environment related? Do you think like just where they end up hanging out more is where fewer people are willing to go, kind of a thing, or is it just their nature of being really skittish and like not even giving people a chance to get close, kind yeah, of thing? I think it's both. Yeah, they're incre- people. People think mule deer are dumb. Yeah, and and it's really the opposite. I think they're one of the most intelligent big game animals. Um, they're very small compared to elk and their coloring late in the season is 
almost like a gray. Yeah. And when you think about being out in like high desert country late in the fall, early winter, it's, it's gray. Yeah. You know, it's like yep. there's no green, there's no snow yet. There's a, mm-hmm. and so they can blend in and and they have this they have this really, you know, interesting thing where they can hold still for 10, 15 minutes and not move a muscle. And you could be glassing and look over a deer 10 times and just not see it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, you'll see this little bit of like an ear flicker or like a tail flick or, you know, take a step. And like, oh my gosh, there was a deer there <laughs> the, the whole time. time. Yeah. I can look at that same hillside. And if there's a bull standing out there with my naked eye, he's like, oh yeah, he's right there. He's right there. Like, <laughs> I got it. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just so different. Yeah. We, so I don't know. Man. I, I love this conversation, but I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty set in my way. We were, uh, I was telling you, we went up and we went uh, scouting for elk last weekend and the area where we went, like most of the, the, the hillsides and stuff where we were walking was on, on myself, like chest high, like undergrowth yeah. brush kind of stuff yeah. where when you're looking at it from like across a, a canyon or anything like that. And the, and my guy was with my best friend's dad. He even goes, he's like, you know, if we're looking at this hillside, you'll see an elk walking right here Absolutely. because that's only knee high on them. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, unless they're laying down on their side, mm-hmm. which he's like, sometimes they do. And you mm-hmm. still can't see them. Like you'll see them walking across this stuff. He's like mule deer will be standing literally like, upright and like just walk and you won't even see him moving across this stuff because in that in like in that just heavy thick brush and all that kind of stuff is like you 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 literally need it to be nothing around to -hmm. see them in in a lot of cases like that well and like the other the other advantage is when you're hunting elk in the rut those big bulls will have a harem of cows that are, yeah. you know, 30, 40 cows. Yeah. You're not going to get that with a big buck. <laughs> a big buck is going to live at the top of the mountain by himself. <laughs> yeah. And then at the very last second of light, sprint down, find a doe, breeder, sprint back up, and he's gone. <laughs> and it's like, well, uh, where'd he go? Yeah, He's gone. And those bulls are like, man, they're fighting, they're sparring, yep. they're bugling. They're, when, it, when it's you're hunting them with a bow in the rut, you know, they're raking, they're making noise. They're like trying to be... They want you to know where they are. Yeah, they're like trying to show off and be that alpha. And man, big bucks don't do that. (laughs) You know, like when's when's the last time you saw a giant buck just like making a bunch of grunting, scraping, (laughs) snarling, and then just like come running into a call? Yeah. It's like maybe some white white tail guys have had that experience a, Mm -hmm. a handful of times, but for mule deer, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, it's super interesting and just yeah. the differences between even just like mule and whitetail or mule and blacktail more on, on the West Coast. I mean, just, and mule and coos deer, which deer, those yeah. are like just tiny, Even smaller. <laughs> tinier mule yeah, deer. Yeah. Like even harder to spot. Yeah, yeah, you could probably make the argument that killing a, a giant coos deer is like the pinnacle yeah. of, you know, tough hunting. For sure. They can go anywhere. They're yeah. like little dogs. Yeah, it's so, wild. Yeah, man. Um, um, in the in so the take that white tail boys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> defense rests <laughs> rest like kids uh, in the backcountry world of things uh, one of the things and it's funny because for a decent amount of time following you I couldn't tell if you were serious or not <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know if I'm serious or not about, that's so funny uh, about the Bigfoot thing. Okay, so like <laughs> posting about it and stuff, and I'm like, I remember like reading this, and I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. Like he's out there. Like I for I thought you were like <laughs> making jokes about the shows that do the Bigfoot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. And so I couldn't tell, and then I'm like listening, like 
he's actually making some compelling <laughs> points. <laughs> Whether he even believes it or not, I'm kind of starting to turn around. Oh and my gosh. This. So, so funny. How did, where did that come from? Like this whole, if it's real or not yeah, yeah. in your head, like, no, you know totally. what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think really how it started was just sitting around campfires and talking to people yeah. and hearing stories. Yeah. And I'd been hearing those stories really like my whole life mm -hmm. from different people. And I never really said like, yay or nay. Mm -hmm. I never really had my own opinion. I just <laughs> heard other people's stories. Sure. And then I've told this story a dozen times, but I was driving with my, with my wife down in Nevada and, and we saw something and it was like, middle of nowhere, middle of the night, hadn't seen a car for hours, you know, not a house within a hundred miles, that whole thing. It was yeah. so remote, dude. And like, you know, probably 30 yards off the road, this thing is walking upright <laughs> and I, I couldn't tell what it was. And my wife was with me. Like, yeah. I, you know, she's Somebody like, else saw the, and, yeah. and she's <laughs> at least like trustworthy, you know, I'm, right. I'm kind of a shit talker, you know, she's is like, trustworthy as they come and uh dude you could not tell what it was yeah like it, if it was a person then it had a full ghillie suit on <laughs> and didn't wasn't wearing a backpack yeah right because i couldn't see like definitive head shoulders sure. back waist yep. pants like yep. couldn't see any of that it, it was just this big thing walking upright and I say it looked like it was wearing a ghillie suit because, like, it, you couldn't see clothes. Right. You couldn't see a backpack. You couldn't see any of that. It just looked like the, you know, I'm not going to call it hair because I, right. I couldn't say that 100%. Yeah. But it, it looked like it was a giant person wearing a ghillie suit. And uh, so I don't know what it was, man. And that was the first time that I was like, you know what? <laughs> Based <laughs> on what I've seen, like, there's not enough compelling evidence to tell me they don't exist. Right. But I know what I've seen. Yeah. And based on what I've seen, why not? They, know, why not? Yeah. Why not believe that they could? They could. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that was probably in 2000 and like 11 or 12. Okay. And so it's been a solid decade of being a <laughs> literal self-proclaimed Bigfoot expert. And it's so funny because like I got, <clears throat> I've been asked to do like documentaries and podcasts and all this stuff and I've never done it right? because I don't want people to be asking me all these like scientific, like nerdy questions right. and me just be like, oh, I don't know. Like they could be real, <laughs> you know, because I sound like an idiot. But uh, as far as social media goes, man, I'll still keep posting memes. I love and, it, dude. And, and looking for him. Every but. time I see a, like a vehicle drive by, he's got a Bigfoot sticker. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to text picture dude. this to Austin. Seriously, I get, I get so many of them and I love it. Cause like, it's, it is, it is fun that it's like a very lighthearted subculture. Right. Right. It's right. not like people are taking it so serious that they're like freaking out about it and right. calling me in the middle of the night. It's just like lighthearted and fun. And even if it's not real, it's still fun. It's still fun. It's, it's yeah. all like, it's just Whatever. And, and so, yeah, man, it's, I'm, I'm happy to be the self-proclaimed Bigfoot. It's, and you're living like in a sweet spot where nobody can tell if you're serious <laughs> no, or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because then if it turns out that everybody's a kook and you're like, well, I wasn't really serious. Yeah, anyway. Guys, I was kidding. Obviously, yeah, exactly. obviously it was all a joke, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's too funny, man. Yeah, man. Uh, the, uh, that, yeah, that whole thing is just fascinating <laughs> to me. But like that brings up a larger point though, because I've always said, because I have like kind of the same idea of there's so many things that you can't 
know mm-hmm. don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's out in the mountains or like in the ocean is the yeah. one that trips me yeah, out. That's I make that comparison all the time. Dude, yeah. that one, I mean like almost to like a freaks me out level, yeah. you know? Cause like this, the one, what's the stat? That's like 94% yeah. of the oceans. We don't even know what they right. are. And that's and what like, you can't that, tell me that like a giant exactly, freaking Kraken dude. thing doesn't exactly. live at the bottom. I, exactly. <laughs> I make that point all the time where I'm like, I've been to some like really remote backcountry places and as far as you can glass, it's just endless trees and mountains yeah. and creeks. And and you're just like, dude, why can't there be, you know, 100 or 200 of these things living back here mm-hmm. that we just don't know about because there's so few of them mm-hmm. and they're so smart and remote. And then you look at the ocean and you're like, the same could apply, <laughs> right? The same really could apply. It's not outside. Like, I, I guess I, I just want people to get to the point where they can say, it's not outside the realm of yes. possibility. Don't just rule it out because we just don't know. Yeah. But let's just leave the conversation at there's a possibility. Dude, look at a freaking octopus and tell me that thing isn't alien. Like an exact, 100%. like it can 100%. Be, be inside a jar with the lid closed and open the jar from inside the jar and like then camouflage itself yeah. and, and become a jar yeah. and then like become a <laughs> lid and then be, become a barbecue. Like, like it can do anything. <laughs> They're the weirdest animals Dude. ever. And there's no way that like hundreds of other things like that yeah. don't, ex- you know what I mean? And so be. I'm in the same thing. Yeah. Like there's no, until you can show me like definitive, until we've scoped every inch of everything. And even then, like it's all timing. Yeah. You know, that's why like there's never any definitive Bigfoot stuff. Exactly. It's all timing stuff. Dude, I want to make a shirt that literally on the front, it, all it says is it's possible and then has like a Bigfoot print on the back. <laughs> so You good. know what I mean? Because that's it. Yes. Like I don't need people telling me yes. I don't need people telling me no. Right. I just want it's possible. it's possible. We'll leave it there. I love it, so. dude. But I, bet, I would imagine... A lot of those, you know, the lore of that specifically came from like some scary type experiences. Yeah, totally. About back in the mountains, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you know, things could end up being bears or, you know, running by. You don't know what it is uh, or could have been like a, a Sasquatch type mm-hmm. thing. But mm-hmm. that idea specifically of just like, and it goes back to when you're out in the woods by yourself, you know, like <laughs> you're out there, basically you against. Yeah like an undefeated opponent. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that concept, have you ever had like a, like one of those kind of like, ooh, I don't know if I would have made it out of this type moments? I, I have had some very close calls. Yeah. Um, I've had two very close calls with mountain lions mm. that, um, and w- within the span of 24 hours. Wow. Um, that were like stalking in on me, growling at me and, and I was Oof. with a partner luckily yeah. and, and we were able to scare them both off. But, um, one of them came as close to about me as the ice bath. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't know it was there. I was looking through my binoculars and I was so, I was watching a bear. I was so focused on the bear that I didn't even have, I had no idea. Yeah. And it wasn't until I heard this stick break and something in my head was like, okay, I've heard, I've heard lots of stick breaks, but that was bigger yeah. than a chipmunk or a squirrel. And I was like, that's just not normal. And I put the binos down I looked around didn't see anything and I finally stood up and when I stood up there was this downed log right next to me and the mountain lion was just on the other side of the log oh, wow you know hands turned in back arched up in the air and just locked eye contact with me and all I could do was yell oh shit <laughs> and when I did that my buddy who was with me popped up too yeah and when that cat saw both of us it 
hightailed out of there. But yeah. it's things like that. And, and I think that I was a lot more hyper aware early on. Yeah. And now I'm like settling into this role of like, when I'm there, I'm, I'm not really the king of the mountain. Yeah. I'm a fragile piece of a bigger ecosystem. And usually I'd say like my first 12 to 24 hours are like, the, are a little more tense. Yeah. I'm a little more nervous. I'm a little more like I don't sleep deep, those things. And then I settle back into this like, okay, I've been here before. I know my role. I know kind of how this whole thing works, how yeah. we all interact with Get each other. Get oriented to the environment a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I still like, it's funny because I can't hear very well. I can't smell very well. I like, I'm just kind of, I don't know, just kind of an average human, I guess. But man, when I'm out, it's like everything becomes that much better. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like you eliminate the distractions, you eliminate just kind of the gray noise and the chaos and all that stuff. And everything becomes like hyper aware and hyper focused Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because like you know you've heard people say like oh it smells like elk have been here well like you absolutely can smell it Mm -hmm. and when i'm at home i can't smell anything very distinct you know i can't smell anything but it's like i'm out i'm like "Mm, smells like smells like deer yeah i'll start looking i'm like oh yeah there's a buck right there you know it's just crazy it's it's weird that like we would assume that that means it's heightened when in reality, that probably is just normal for what we should be able it to do. It probably is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we've we've mitigated so much of that just being in, like, you know, where we are, like, urban-ish yeah. areas with screens and lights, at, like, at night. Like, so mm-hmm. it's dampening your vision and just always some sort of buzzing sound around. Right. Like, you get up there and it's almost like, it's like deafening silence for mm-hmm. a little bit until you kind of get used to it. But it's, you know, and I, and I imagine it's more so, like takes a few days like you said once you get in that zone now you're like okay this is actually i feel a little bit more at home exactly and that's i would imagine what we should be able to be like most of the time mm-hmm. you know what i mean but we just don't live in those environments anymore yeah yeah it's i i going on that note i had a guy ask me like i can't remember when it was not that long ago and he he went down this road of like i just don't really know who I am. Mm. And he was like, I just don't really know what my role is and what my place is and where I fit in. And, and he's like, because everywhere I go, I'm kind of adapting to the people I'm around. When I'm at work, I'm kind of my work self. When I'm at home, I'm my, my you know, spouse, dad self. When I'm around my friends, I'm this way. And he's like, everywhere I go, I feel like I like put on a different mask mm. to fit the crowd. He's like, how do I get back to knowing like who I am? And I, it kind of caused me to, you know, ooh, that's a good question. Deep. Do yeah. I do that too? You know, like question a lot of those things and think about that. And what I came back to and what I've noticed with myself is the more time I spend unplugged away from the chaos of normal life and in the mountains, um, what I find is where are my thoughts centered? Mm-hmm. Where is my... You know, when I'm, when I'm glassing or, or sitting around the fire or sitting in my tent, like, where's my focus? What am I daydreaming about? What yeah. am I planning for in the future? And, and that's really where I'm, I'm coming back to, like, 
who am I as a person? It's when all the background noise is eliminated and you have time to really just focus, who are you? Yeah. And, uh, and that's something now that I've been kind of paying closer attention to than I probably did, you know, two, three, four years ago. And that's, like you said, just an environment that the vast majority of people just don't even allow themselves to be in anymore. Or don't want to be Or in. don't want to, yeah, exactly. Like, I know some people who that sounds terrible yeah. to. Like, wait, be by myself, <laughs> unplugged. Like, what are you talking about? And a lot of that is probably due to the fact that they're, like, freaked out about what they would yeah. be thinking about. Yeah. Like, they don't want to let their mind go to a lot of those places, yeah. which... I mean, that's where you find out a lot of stuff, right. you know, it needs to go there and be completely removed and isolated and let it, mm-hmm. all these things be thought and dealt with, yeah. you know, and a lot of people, like you said, either, either can't or just don't want to. Yeah. And that's a huge probably yeah. flag in itself. You know I, what I mean? I, I agree, man. And it's funny because when I'm, you know, in my day to day, my thoughts are always like, they're not very deep. Yeah. They're pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I need to do today? What is stressing me out today? What can I get done today? And it's all pretty surface level and yeah. shallow. And uh, I don't really think big picture. I don't think long term. I, you know, and when I'm out, all of a sudden it's like, it's more, um, it's more like, what do I want? Like, what do I want my kids to take away mm-hmm. from me? what am I doing to like do differently than what my dad did with me? You know, it's like bigger, deeper questions. And then it's like, okay, so if, if this is something I want my kids to learn from me, how do I go home and implement that? Like, how do I go home and reflect these feelings and these thoughts? And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, when I am home, how do I get past that surface level of thinking and back to that deeper, like big picture of like, you know, I, I said, I wanted my kids to develop a love for the outdoors. Now I'm sitting here and I'm watching them watch TV. This is a perfect opportunity to implement, you know? So it's like, so now it's, it's the actual finding the application for it. So it's not just wasted thoughts and empty thoughts and deep. Anybody can think deep, Yeah. but then it's like, how do I take those and put them into action? And so, man, I, I really feel like, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been the last couple of years, but now I'm, I'm finding myself in this transition period where hunting is, is so much more now than just hunting. Yeah. It's, it's really spilling over into every aspect of my life. And, uh, so it, yeah, man, it's, and it's this, weird. the skill acquisition part of it from, from the concept of learning skills. So being, so I'm of the belief that learning how to learn a skill is a skill itself. Totally. You know, uh, and, and the ability to do something like that where you're in the back country, you've got all of these other things you've got to manage, like just for survival's sake, Mm. those skills and the ability to learn those skills, that is something in itself to pass on, you know what I mean? Just from a skill standpoint, but also from an enjoyment standpoint of it, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're, you're talking about how to learn how do I teach them to appreciate it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they need to see you appreciating mm-hmm. it and you enjoying it. And like mm-hmm. how much you, because that kind of stuff is what is, uh, infectious, mm-hmm. you know, like they see you in just having a blast when you're up in the mountains or doing whatever. It's like, Oh, dad loves this stuff. This must be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, man. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun, man. It's, it's been interesting just to see the growth in myself. Yeah. 
and and now as other people are, I guess, I hate to use the word like following along, but like sure. seeing my journey, sure. I guess, on yeah. social media. Yeah. To, I think people people aren't dumb, right? right? People see that and they're like, that looks awesome. And and the number of people that want to get into hunting and want to learn and develop outdoor skills, not even just hunting, but like um, I climbed Mount Idaho on Saturday and the number of people that texted me and said like, dude, how do I do this? It's like, yes, like that is what I, I like. I love not just inspiring my kids, but like inspiring other people to yeah. get out and do some of those things. Freaking awesome, man. And just this, the the concept of just going and doing it, like just yeah. start. Like, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the annoying answer yeah, that you can <laughs> like, well, here's the trailhead, drive there and start walking, you know, like, yeah. but it's getting over that barrier that like people think there needs to be all these things they need to do totally. in order to start. And it's like, well, no, just hop in your car. This is the road. This is where you park. Get out and walk. Exactly. Like, that's all it takes. Like, remove all that <laughs> concept of barriers from yourself. 100%. And dude, like that Mount, Mount Idaho specifically, when I read, I'd never done it. Never. Okay. I didn't even know where it was. And I didn't plan it. I was literally sitting at work at like probably two in the afternoon and said, I'm going to go climb a mountain after work. I texted a buddy of mine and said, want to go climb a mountain after work? And we, and, and we just went and did it. Yeah. And the, the blog I was reading, because I was like, I don't know, I'll just pick one. The blog I was reading was like, the trail follows the creek bed from the, from the trailhead to 9,700 feet. And the mountain's just over 12, okay. right? So there's almost 2,400 feet of no trail. And it was like, when you reach the end of the trail, you basically just turn left and go up. And I was like, sick, right? <laughs> and it's like, how much of life is like that? Yeah. Where it's like, here's a path. Stay on this path. Mm -hmm. You know, go to, you're going to go to middle school. You're going to go to high school. If you want, go to college or get a, you know, get a trade, do a job, get married, have kids, buy a house. Like there's a halfway decent path that can lead you to a moderately successful life, you sure. know, um, laid out for you. But then it's like, Hey, the path is going to end Yeah. at, you know, 24, 25, 26, whatever that path ends for some people. It's probably younger, 21. Yeah. And when that path ends, turn left and just keep going up. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things, like I looked at that and was like, well, shit. Uh, uh, okay. Guess like, we'll figure it out. I know where the top of the mountain is. So from 9,700 feet, I guess I'll just figure it out. And I looked at a map and was like, okay, here's a topo map. Here's a, a satellite map. Yeah, I got this. Like mm -hmm. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was it. And some of that was just experience being outdoors, yeah. experience of like route finding and, you know, pathfinding and picking the, the easiest point of entrance and some of those things. But at the same time, there's just an aspect of like, let's just get there and do it yeah. and figure it out. Yep. And, and, uh, and man, that's, that is life. Mm -hmm. You know, that is life. It's like when that path ends, man, yeah, you can, you can read some books. You can take examples from other people. You can look at the, you know, quote unquote aerial view and the, and the topographic maps of what other people have done, but at a certain degree, just figure it out. Yeah. And, and it's the, the unknown part. That is the, I mean, I would say other than the just starting, right? Yeah. There's like the starting, but then there's the, well, what comes after that? Like right. it paralyzes people, totally. you know, and that's the, and it's, it's annoying because it's so much, 
it's it's as simple as just get over it. But it, for people, it's way deeper than that. You know what I mean? Like, because it's what are we getting over yeah. to get to that point? It's not just like, well, I just tell somebody get over it and go, and they just do it. Like, oh, that's all it took was you to say that. Yeah. But like, <laughs> totally. But, but in terms of action steps, it's like, well, just take the first step. Yeah. You know, like once you like on that trail, for example, once you take that left, it's like, okay, well, trail's over. We have literally nowhere else that we know of to go. It's like, we'll just go this way. We'll have to find a, a way right. up from there. And right. part of that, like you said, is just the experience and the skill, which comes up over time. Part of it too, which is a massive part of it, is trusting yourself. Yeah. Like to do the thing. Yeah. You know, and that's also where people kind of sell themselves short. Yeah. You know, and, and think that they, they undersell themselves and think that they can't do these things when like, that's, people are far more impressive than they think they are in hands down you know just in, on an individual level too absolutely and it, that applies to fitness mm -hmm. it applies to hunting it applies to starting your own business getting a new job starting a family it applies to everything where it's like dude i know it's unknown you know go when i was trying to figure out hunting i didn't know shit i was hunting at bogus basin <laughs> on a ski lift Right, I took the first step, yeah. and it was clearly the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, that's the beauty of it. Is like I took, I learned so many lessons from that. Yeah, so many lessons, and uh, and it was, gosh, man, it was so rewarding, though, to finally get to that point where I was like, man, I can do this. Yeah, I'm a hunter. Mm -hmm. I got this. And now, you know, what's it been? It's been. I don't know, 14, 15 years or something. And now it's like, it's no longer the question of like, I hope I can find some deer this year. I hope I can find a buck this year. Now it's like, I can't wait to get out, have this whole experience, find the right deer that I want, that I'm excited, that, you know, gets me excited. I can kill that deer and we can eat it. For, you know, it's like the yeah. question has changed, yeah. but the, the goal is the same. Like yeah. I'm still moving the same direction. I'm still honing the skills. Um, but just the whole, the whole kind of um, big picture of it, I guess, has has changed. And there's probably an aspect of that that same like awe, totally, man. as the first couple of years when like you go out there and you literally feel like you know nothing. Yeah. Like there's that time still. I mean, you know, totally. however many decades in they are, and you're just like damn, this is something else <laughs> yeah. still, still, you know, like it doesn't matter how much I know or how well I know this area or what the animals migration patterns, any of that kind of stuff. There's just, there's probably like a moment where it's like, yeah. I could come away and nature wins, mm -hmm. you know, and that happens a lot. <laughs> I, I heard someone say one time, I can't even remember who said this. I wish I did because I'd, I'd probably thank them. Um, I heard one time and someone said, as soon as I pulled the trigger and I don't feel anything, I'm done. Yeah. And that to me is a good reminder that like, I don't want to just be a, you know, a killer. Yep. Like I don't want to just be another guy on the mountain. I want every single moment of that to be important in its own way. Um, still right now to this day, I can tell you the exact story, time, location, weapon, every detail of every hunt I've been on. Yeah. Because everyone is so important to me. And if I find myself in that point where I pull the trigger and don't feel anything, something's going to change. Yeah. And that brings I, up, that, that brought up a question just now when you said that, being that able to recall all of them, yeah. do you have a favorite all time? 
Um, like, is that something you can even say you have a favorite? Just, you know I, what I mean? I honestly don't know if I can have a favorite. I right. do have some very memorable ones. Yeah. Um, one of probably the most memorable hunts I, I went on was three falls ago, probably. Mm-hmm. So going in, yes, like three years ago. Yeah. I was by myself. I went all day and... It, it was like a blizzard, man. Mm. It, all day. It just, I was soaked. I was freezing. I didn't see a single animal. And that I, that just doesn't happen to me super often. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was questioning everything about myself. Every skill I had, everything I knew. I was like, this sucks. I'm so cold. And uh, I was going to sleep out on the mountain and the conditions sucked. And I was like, I just can't do this. And I bailed off the mountain. I got back to my truck you know, in the dark, late at night. And I'm like, I'm going home. This sucks. And I started driving out and I hate telling this story. I've I've never told this story in its entire, I've never told this part of this story, right? That, that like I literally gave up because I was Mm -hmm. like, this sucks. Yeah. And as I'm driving out, I made it probably three or four miles down the road and just had this like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it was like, this is what you love to do. Right. Like, this is why you're here. And, uh, I, I stopped the truck and, and had that just like inner dialogue of like, dude, you had one bad day. Mm-hmm. Get over it. Yep. Dry your clothes out, warm up, have a hot meal, you know, sleep at the truck, get out of the snow and do it tomorrow. Yep. And, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, and I was kind of just like embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They're like, I still had that like moment of weakness, mm. but I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, yeah, screw this. Like I got this. <laughs> and so, um, where that conversation happened, I was like, yeah, I'm stopping right here. Like I, I'm not going any further. I stopped. I, I pulled over. I got all my clothes out. I laid them out in my truck. I, you know, did everything. I slept curled up in a tiny little ball in the backseat of my truck. Mm-hmm. And the next morning was like, let's freaking go, man. Mm-hmm. I was so fired up and, and uh, a little too fired up because I got in, I had about a thousand foot climb, like almost vertical, you know, in the dark. Yeah. I get to the top of the, this ridge and I get to the top right as the as first light starts coming up. I was like, game time, baby. Let's go. You know, <laughs> I'm all fired up. And I reached down to grab my binos and I left my bino harness at the truck. <laughs> so I have no binoculars, no range finder. And I'm like, ah, crap. Like I was a little too fired up this morning. And I was like, that's okay. I got my spotting scope. I like take my backpack off, open it up. Like I ditched my spotting scope. Oh my I ditched goodness. my spotting scope because the day before it was all blizzard and it was white out. Yeah. It was like, point. I can't glass more than 75 yards, yeah. or 50 yards. So like, what's the point of a spotting scope? Yep. So I had no optics. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like, here we go again. Another crappy day on the mountain. I'm like, no, Austin, like you can do this. People, people were hunting without optics. Yeah. You know, for hundreds of years, yeah. thousands of years. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I can do this. So I'm like talking myself like back into it, you know, after my <laughs> second pity party. I'm like, okay, you can do this. Like, and so I just went back to the basics. Yeah. Right. I went back to the basics. I was like, with my naked eye, I can't see over, you know, a certain amount. Sure. So don't waste my time. I'm not going to look yeah. past where I can clearly see. 
And I was like, okay, what are, what's the behavior I'm looking for? Well, like, and I, and I just started going back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I know? Like, what can I feed off of to, uh, you know, cut out wasted time, wasted steps and put myself in the best possible scenario? Yeah. And, uh, and so sure enough, I was like, okay, the deer are going to be probably coming up these draws and doing it. And so I, I get to a point and I'm like, this would be a perfect place where I should see some deer. Mm-hmm. And I take my pack off and I kind of like get prone, like, crawl out over this rock and as soon as I get over the rock a doe is like literally five feet from it like we're almost like rubbing our noses on each other <laughs> like oh my gosh there's a deer and uh you know she does the like blow out her nose yep. and stomps and runs off and I'm like oh this is awesome and I'm like watching her bound off and as I'm watching her go all of a sudden I'm like whoa look at all those deer and there's like this whole little you know it wasn't huge it was probably 300 yards across okay this whole draw is just Full of does. Like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, they start, like, you know, forming into a line and going up and over the ridge that I'm on. Yep. And I'm like, okay, there's some bucks in here. Yep. And so, it, I, you know, I have my naked eye, and so I'm like, squinting hard, trying to, like, hyper-focus my eyes yep. on trying to find antlers. And I'm like, there's a little buck, there's a little buck, there's a little buck. And I grab my rifle, and I get it set up on this rock, and I'm looking through my rifle, like, using my rifle scope now because I'm like, I've identified some bucks. Now I just got to find which one. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And finally I'm like, there's just nothing that great. And they all go up and over and, and gone. And I'm like, man, that was awesome. I just proved to myself yeah. I can do this. And as I'm like telling myself I can do this, I hear something down below and I look in like way, you know, 300 yards behind the rest of all those deer, this you know, cagey old buck is just slowly walking his way up. No other deer around him. And I was just like, this That's is the it, one. man. This <laughs> is it. And boom, game over. And uh, I packed that deer out. And that one really sticks out to me, man, because it was, it's pretty rare that I get down on myself. Yeah. It's pretty rare that I start like questioning and doubting and, and those things. Um, but that hit, that, that, it hit me really hard. And, and it bothered me that I felt like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, it's probably good that I felt like that. Yeah. Because it was humbling. You know, if I feel like every time I go out, I'm going to see deer and have a great experience, like that's just not real. And so it was good to kind of humble myself, check myself, make myself refocus, rededicate, and then get back out on the mountain. And, and I killed an awesome buck. That's and so, so cool. yeah, it was, it was cool, man. It was, it was fun. And What's uh, cool about that too is having that feeling of like disappointment, you weren't with anybody else that would have called you on it. No. You know what I mean? No. Like, and that comes I'd from call just, myself. <laughs> that, that just comes from all of the work and skill building and discipline that you built up to that point to like hold yourself to that as well. Not exactly. just like you're letting, you know, somebody else get bummed out. Cause you're like, and cause if somebody else was there, they would have like fed into it and be yeah. like, nah, let's just head back. You know, yeah. this, this sucks. Let's go yeah. home. Uh, but being by yourself, like that's a completely different conversation that you have inside your head. And I mean, a lot of people, it takes a lot to yeah. build to that point where you, t- you talk yourself out of it and then you talk yourself out of talking yourself out of it, yeah. you know, to get yeah. to that point, which is like, that's the cool part of the story. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and there's, there's two types of, well, this isn't a fact, so right. I probably shouldn't say this with absolute, but <laughs> there, there's there's two types of habits, right? There's the habit of quitting and the habit of winning, mm. and both create a habit. Yep. And the fact is, man, had I quit and kept driving home to have a hot shower and a warm bed and a warm meal, mm-hmm. 
the next time I'm out on the mountain in that same circumstance, that habit of quitting becomes easier. Yeah. And that is, that is everything in life. And the habit of winning is the same way. The feeling of going through that, forgetting my optics, having to resort back to basics and still killing probably the biggest deer I've ever killed yeah. was like, put me on the moon, dude. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, that's the habit of winning, right? Yep. I'm like, that's the feeling I want to recreate. And uh, man, that just goes to everything, you know? So that, that was, that was probably the most memorable. That's a cool story. Memorable man. story. Yeah. That is pretty cool. It got published in, it got published in some magazine. Uh, I can't remember, but if I, if I find it, I'll send you the thing. It was, yes. It sweet. Do. Yeah, It'll it be sweet. cool if you find it, we can put it in the, yeah. in the show notes of the thing to, to link it. I, it might even be it. on my phone. I know it was called, the, the article was called uh, going old school. Oh, nice. <laughs> Even though I used a rifle, you right. know, but, but I was like, hey, this is for me, this is going old school. That's so. awesome, man. Well, that was a pretty good uh, place to wrap up. We're coming up on time. We got to, you got to get out of here. So yeah. this, dude, this was super fun morning, like ice bath and training and yeah. talking and stuff. I'm so pumped that we were able to do it in person. Yep. Like for me, I don't get to do these hardly ever. Like cool. I said, you know, so. Dude, I'd love to do it again, honestly. Yeah, man. Because I had a blast this morning. I told you the ice bath was it's a point of contention in my life. <laughs> we I got hate some, cold water. We got some good pictures and <laughs> shots of Austin Dude. fighting himself. The to second get in. time was a lot better. Much better. Your breathing was able to calm down a lot more. You're able to get into I went a rhythm. Deeper in the pool. Yep. Yeah. The first time he cut off like right, right, yeah. right below the chest. Yep. Didn't go any deeper. And then the second time sunk all the way down to the yeah. neck. And yeah. Yeah. So I it was awesome, it man. Well, it's here. Come back anytime, dude. Where is all of your stuff that you're working on if people want to yeah. follow along? And, yeah, the best and place to find me is probably just Instagram. Instagram. I'm most active there. Yeah. It's just Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, uh, period, leg, L-E-G-G. There's two Gs in the leg, boys. So. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you, dude. I yeah, appreciate man. you. This that was, was fun. fun. Thanks. Thanks.